James chapter number 3. Start reading verse number 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in the peace of them that make peace. Who is the wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Who are the wise and knowledgeable people in West Virginia? And if you was looking for one, where would you go to find them? And how would you know when you found one? Well, you might go to a doctor's office and see diplomas all over the walls and and say, well, here's a man with much knowledge. When I went to the doctor, he told me, well, you have appendicitis, we're going to have to remove your appendix. And he started telling me about my appendix, and he said, the appendix is just um, a a hangover from evolution that used to, um, people, primates didn't have, uh, you know, had them, but we don't need them anymore, and they just haven't evolved out of us. He said, so it's okay if we just go ahead and remove it. And when I heard that, I was thinking, well, I want another doctor. He may have graduated from medical school, but, but his, he has no wisdom because his whole view of the human body is that it evolved, and he said, well, the, we don't need this anymore. Uh, I went and researched it, and it's actually, well, of course it's untrue, but we do actually need them. Um, um, you can live without them, but they're there for a reason. But this guy had, a, had knowledge, but he didn't have any wisdom. Well, what if I decided that um, I had a vast fortune? Let's imagine I had a vast fortune, and I decided I'm going to put all the power lines in West Virginia underground. That way, when the wind blows, the power doesn't go out. And so all the, the power lines are underground. And, but I have to find somebody that's going to be able to do such a task. And somebody's going to be able to plan it and carry it out. Well, a man comes and he said, I can do this in short order, uh, but it's going to cost you a billion dollars to do it. Well, I've got a vast fortune in my story, so I'm going to say that's going to be, that's going to be okay. But what if I find out that this man had sabotaged the other people who put bids in, had lied about his qualifications, and had lied to me several times in the interview process. Would I want to entrust a fortune towards my goal? If this man is brilliant, he has a lot of understanding, but he lied to me the whole time. Well, how do I tell if this is a wise man? How could I tell if this guy has wisdom or if the knowledge that he has is any count? Well, James tells us one way we can determine if somebody has knowledge and wisdom and how we can go about finding that truth out. In the text that we read, he says, look at their life. Look how they live. Because when a person can apply the knowledge of the scriptures 
to their life in walking with Christ, their wisdom is going to produce fruit. Living a certain way doesn't make you wise, but a wise person will have a certain way because of the knowledge of the wisdom. Because the knowledge that's in your head is applied, which is going to be your, the wisdom working itself out. So wisdom has fruits. And one of those fruits is meekness. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So when you're navigating through this world, making sound judgments, looking at the situation, trying to figure out what to do or what to do next, avoiding the bad and choosing the good, um, the, we, what we do is we take the knowledge of the situation, we take the, the word of God, what the Bible tells us, and then we apply God's word to our life, and that is walking in wisdom, walking in the fear of the Lord. You, you say, well, I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, you say, well, what does God tell me to do? Well, God doesn't tell me exactly what to do in the Bible in this particular situation. But I have the precepts, and I have the examples, and I have the narratives and the history of other people, and I take this knowledge and what I know about God and what I know about uh, the world that he made, and then I'm going to navigate through this situation based upon what the scriptures guide me in. Well, that's walking in wisdom. Well, how do we know if a person's got this kind of wisdom? Because every heretic has a Bible verse. Every heresy um, that somebody's going to come through and say, well, I got Bible for that. So how do you know if the person who's holding the Bible, how do you know if they're telling you the truth? How do you know if someone who says that they're um, a child of God, how do you know if they're telling you the truth? Um, or what's the one way to know if they're, they're actually wise, rather? Well, by you look at their life. That's one way to do that. One way to distinguish between God's wisdom and the devil's wisdom is to look at the fruit. And since wisdom is the application of, of the use of knowledge, watch and consider where that wisdom is taking you. So last week I preached on truth, and we saw that truth is important. It's vital. You and I, as God's people, we love the truth, we speak the truth, we hold to the truth, we fight for the truth, even die for the truth. But when we get a hold of that truth, it does something to us. So when you really get a hold of truth, it'll change you. Jesus said the truth will set us free. That changes you. Because if you're in bondage, the truth sets you free when you receive it. Well, you're no longer in bondage, you're free. Jesus prayed that the word would sanctify us. That changes you. That's God working in you. That's God's process. Work by his word and the Holy Spirit changes us. So when we get a hold of the truth, it does something to us. Besides, this gives us something to think about. And so that's what James is talking about, I believe. That, that some may say they have wisdom. Some may say they have truth. But one way to discern whether or not they have wisdom. So we're talking now about people who have the right doctrine even, but they just haven't, they know it in their brain, but they haven't got a hold of it. It hasn't changed them. It hasn't um, captivated them. Because, you know, you might have a good understanding of the doctrines of grace, but if you just haven't grabbed a hold of it, you know, it, it, and it, if you haven't made it yours, if it hasn't driven down into your heart, then you don't have... It doesn't have the, the, the effect on your worship and your love of, of God as, as it could. Well, tonight I want to consider that fruit of this truth is wisdom. 
uh, is wisdom. And wisdom has the fruit of meekness. So we're going to look at the, the meekness of wisdom tonight. So we're going to look at how to know if, we're, if we have this wisdom and consider the fruit of that knowledge and wisdom and then just lastly look at the fruit of the wisdom. So um, we've got several Bible verses to look at tonight. Um, so we'll be jumping around a lot as we consider this, this topic. But our text will be from verse number 13. Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. So James is saying, he asks a question, how are you going to know who's knowledgeable and wise? Well, the chapter starts, in verse number one, it starts saying, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we all receive the greater condemnation. For many things we offend all. If any man offend and not in word, the same as a perfect man is able to also bribe the whole body. So he starts off talking about um, people in the church. And he said, brothers, not everybody ought to be teaching. Not every, and that's what masters is talking about there. Um, you master a subject. You're, so if you're a teacher, you ought to be master the subject. And that's how we get that word. So if, if I don't know what I'm talking about, I shouldn't be teaching. Right? I, should, I should only be teaching stuff I know. And you know, some people will say, well, you have to start in one, the beginning of one book and work your way through it and preach every single word of every single verse. It would be better to skip something if you don't know what it means than to say, well, this is next and I have to talk about it. You, know, you should have a mastery of the subject to study it and, and dig down and to know it. And we say, well, not, not everybody ought to be doing that. He said, because when you stand up and you teach somebody, you have a greater responsibility um, because you are instructing people in the way that they should go. You're telling people how they should live, how they should order their life. He said, so keep that in mind. Not everybody should be, not everybody ought to be a teacher. He said, because everybody that talks, everybody that teaches is going to offend somebody. He said, because if, if, you can, if you can teach and never say anything that offends somebody, never say anything out of the way, that, that makes someone upset, well, then you're a perfect person. And then he goes on to talk about how powerful the tongue is, how small it is, and we can, we can tame everything except our tongues. But then he gets down to the end, and he says, My brethren, it ought not to be that out of the same mouth flow blessing and cursing. So what did we have here? Well, James has identified a problem where there were people who were teaching and they had knowledge. But out of that same mouth that was teaching the Bible came cursing. And out of the same mouth was the sweet water of the gospel came the bitter and angry fighting words of, uh, of the flesh. He said the fig tree can't, ought not to, doesn't uh, bear olive berries or the vine figs, or salt water, fresh water. And so the child of God ought not to be blessing God and cursing God with the same mouth. So now he gets this question, so who is it that's wise and endued with knowledge among you? He said, because it's evident 
from where I'm standing, James says, that, that some of you ought not to be. We say, well, how can you know that, James? Well, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm hearing the words that are coming out of your mouth and the wisdom and the knowledge that you're speaking is not coming um, from a heart of meekness. James is telling us that the fruit um, was not matching the doctrine. That I don't even know that he's saying that they were, they were saying false things, but the way that they were saying them and the other things that they were saying wasn't matching the sweetness of the gospel. You know, not everybody... Um, I read one man said that years ago, anybody with a tongue in his head and a Bible in his hand, um, his church said that they were apt to teach and, and would put them behind the pulpit. Well, does, does the, that's not the case. You know, I, I think about some of the things that I said when, when I first started preaching, I cringe and, and ask God to forgive me. I shouldn't have said the thing, some of the things I said, a lot of things I said, I shouldn't have said it. Because it, it wasn't so much that it wasn't true, but I thought, well, uh, if you're going to be a preacher, you have to get, get mean with people and you have to say things that, that uh, ruffle people's feathers on purpose. Well, I ought not to have done that. And, you know, it's easy to say something from up here. Um, and I would say things that I shouldn't have said. Because the heart, the reason I was saying it wasn't coming from, from the right disposition. And that's what James was talking about. And that's one thing that just comes with maturity and, and growth and grace. And um, I'm thankful the Lord didn't strike me dead behind the pulpit. I'm thankful he was patient and long-suffering with me because the Lord was much more patient and long-suffering with me than I was with other people. The Lord was much more patient and long-suffering with me as he taught me truth than I was for people who didn't know the doctrines of grace or didn't, didn't believe him or, or know him as good as I thought they should. So this is what James is talking about. This is how you can know if somebody's got to hold that wisdom is does it produce fruit in, in their life? Does it produce fruit in, in their spirit? Well, just to, you know, I'll, I'll, to, to brag on this church, if that's the right word, but, but this church believes and holds to the truth. But this church is also very loving one towards another and kind and, and, and patient with one another. And I think that is just the, the blessing of the Spirit of God that, that this church doesn't just know the truth, but has owned it. And it has changed changed our, our hearts and enabled us to, to be patient and long-suffering uh, with one another um, in love. And that's what James says you need to look for. Because there are a lot of places you could go and you could hear the truth. But the, the spirit in which it is delivered and the application in which it is applied just doesn't have the, the spirit and the, uh, of with the meekness of wisdom, rather. Well, how do you know if a person has knowledge? Well, not how it's not that they want to speak, or not that they're willing, or even how much knowledge that they have. And it's not by telling people how much wisdom that they have. Some people want to make sure you, you know that 
they read a bunch of books, and some people want you to know how much school that they had, and and so forth. You know, the, a lot of doctors, doctor so and so, preachers at this church and that church, doctor so and so, a lot of those doctors didn't get their doctorates by going to school. I, you know, if you just be want to be honest about it. Um, I was reading about one famous preacher, Dr. So-and-so, and uh, I was reading that today. Somebody asked one of his uh, church members where he got his doctorate, and he said, well, it's an honorary doctorate. He said he doesn't like for people calling him that because he didn't actually earn the, the doctorate. A, a school just gave it to him. And, and so, you know, just because somebody's got a doctor in front of their name doesn't even mean they have all the educational requirements to, to be the doctor, right? So... And I'm not downgrading education in the least bit. I mean, that, if you want education, that, that's a good thing. But I'm just saying that is not a proof that somebody actually has wisdom. A lot of people will get their theology today from celebrities, and they'll say, well, this guy's got a church of 5,000 people, and he's got a best-selling book. He must be smart, or otherwise... Um, they wouldn't publish his book. Well, that's not that's not the case. Um, selling books is a business like any other business, and booksellers want to sell books, and they're going to find out what people want, and they're going to supply the people with what they want in a way that they want it, and slick advertising and all these types of things. So you can't look at how many people the guy's got at his church, how many books he has published, and if he's on TV or the radio or those types of things. That doesn't make a man wise. That's another reason why it's bad to, to look at these celebrity preachers and say, well, I'm going to get my preaching from this guy because he's, he's out in California and he's got 5,000 member church and he's on the radio and on television and, and he's a good speaker and, and I know all these things. Um, that people love him and all these things, and, and he's going to be my pastor, so I'm going to stay at home and, and watch him. Well, you know what the problem with that is? How do you know he's a wise man? Because James says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. You don't know that man. You know how he's presented. You know how um, he's, his marketing team has strategized to make him look. You don't know that man. You don't know how that man is around his family. You don't know how he is um, after church. You know, you know how I am with my family. You know how I am before church and after church, and, and that might be a good thing on my part. It might be a bad thing. You know, but but you see me um, warts and all, as they say, and, and you can you can see how I live and. You can see how I I, I treat people. You can you can examine me because you know me and I know you. But if we're never, to, you know, that you, you can't have the, the celebrity to, to be your, your guru of wisdom. James says you have to know the person to, to know if what he's telling you is true and right. Um, the wisdom that he's giving you because how is his life? You know, what's he doing with his life? Well, secondly, we see there is a fruit to that knowledge and wisdom. Because you can have knowledge and no wisdom. That's something else that you can have. Um, 1 Corinthians has a lot about that. Um, 1 Corinthians 8. 
verse number one. Now, as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think he knoweth anything, and knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. So if you just have a bunch of knowledge, well, that'll puff you up. You get, you get somebody that, that starts learning things, and learning, 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 and then they look around and people don't know the things that they know now, well, that can make you proud. And you start reading books, you know, you might go and get a theology book, and you start reading a theology book, and you start learning things, and say, well, I've never even heard of this stuff before. I didn't even know these words existed. And you, you can start getting puffed up. Because I know stuff that other people don't know. Well, why don't you know these things? And, uh, you know, and get... And then you say, well, how come no one ever showed me these things before? And you get puffed up. Well, that's not how we ought to be as God's people. If you have knowledge without love and knowledge without wisdom, well, that'll just make you proud. You can have, uh, you can have knowledge with, and no understanding. So if we just flip back a little bit in chapter number 4 and verse number 18, it says, now... Some of you are puffed up as though I would come not unto you. All right, so here they had knowledge. They, they just knew that Paul wasn't going to come, so they were, they were puffed up in their wisdom and their, their thoughts and their attitudes. Chapter 5, verse 2, and it says you are puffed up. Again, they were proud about what they had known. Um, you can have a false knowledge and a false wisdom. In Romans chapter number 1, verse 22, First chapter of Romans, verse 22. It says, of those who, well, in, in verse 21, it says, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, became vain in their imaginations, their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So here's some people that started looking at the things in the world and, and started denying the existence of God and denying God's power. They said, well, look how smart we are. We figured all these things out, and we figured out things and, and discovered that, that God's not who he says he was. And we, we, we've learned these things without God. And they, they puffed themselves up that they knew things, but they just became fools. The knowledge that they had was a false knowledge, and the wisdom that they had was a false wisdom. They judged themselves by themselves, and... Um, ended up in the judgment of God. Towards the, the end of the book, in chapter 14 of Romans, verse number 3. Let him that eateth despise him that eateth, or let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. And then, down in verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So here um, you had two men disagreeing about whether they should eat one thing or another. And Paul says, why do you judge your brother? Why are you, you harsh with your brother? Why are you destroying your brother? 
over something that you know that he doesn't or vice versa. So here you had two people trying to walk in the wisdom of God. One was weak and one was stronger. One was afraid to eat certain foods for conscience sake and the other said, well, you can eat anything you want. It doesn't matter. But they were fighting with one another, judging one another because they were puffed up about what the other one knew or what they thought they knew. So here's an example. They had true knowledge, but they didn't have any wisdom on how to walk with one another. And that's what chapter 14 is talking about. Is, is you've got knowledge, or at least you have you're understanding what the scriptures say about these things. But you don't have the wisdom because you're fighting with one another about it. And you're battling against on these things. Now this wasn't a fight over the gospel. It was over what kind of food you should eat. But Paul and James are talking about the same thing here, that, that there is a, a spirit that comes along with the, the knowledge that we have whenever we have grabbed a hold of it. True wisdom is the outpouring of true knowledge. And, um, we won't turn to this one, but in Deuteronomy 4, God made a covenant with Israel and gave them the laws of the covenant. And to keep the commands and to do them, God said, was wisdom. And he said, when the nation saw the fruit of the obedience, they would glorify God. Well, I changed my mind. Let's, let's read it until we can... Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse number 5. So Israel's being exhorted to obey God here. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land, whether you possess it. So they have knowledge, don't they? They have understanding. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So they had the wisdom and the oracles of God. And Moses said, You need to keep these and, and obey them, because this is your wisdom and your understanding. Because the people are going to say, Man, what, what a wise group of people. For what nation is there so great who hath a God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all the things that we call upon him for? And what nation is so is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? So what the scripture is telling us here is God had given them a perfect law of the covenant. And this whole old covenant law was, was perfect and wise. And if they would have kept these laws, then the fruit of that wisdom would have been people in the world saying, you know, these people have it going on. These people are wise. Look how they treat one another. Look how they prosper. Look how there's love in the communities and love in the cities. And look how um, they, they care for the poor and the sickly. And look how they protect one another. And look how they glorify God. And, and look how their people don't go out and and, and cheat and steal and commit adultery and fornications. They're, they're, they're a wise people. 
Well, we know what happened when they entered the land. They ignored God, and then they went off, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And then you can see the fruit of their, their understanding. It was bad. Well, James says, you, if you want to know if somebody has a, has, really has a hold of that knowledge, it's going to work itself out um, in these fruits. Well, in our text tonight, we have the fruit of, of meekness. You know, if that's the case for Israel, it should be more so the case for us. Because we have a new and better covenant, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe that they were indwelt by the, the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can't be saved, you can't be born again um, without the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think that we have a, 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 a blessing that, that, is, that is greater, that we have more um, of the blessing of, of the fruit of the Spirit um, in this new covenant. And how much greater should you and I um, have the fruit of this, this wisdom with, with the blessings that we have um, in Christ. Well, the fruit of this, and the third thing we're looking at tonight, is the meekness of wisdom. Robert Johnson said that this is the grace of meekness, is the freedom from the spirit of wrathfulness, revenge, sullenness, under any kind of trouble, related both to God and man. It's close to humility, patience, and love. Webster's Dictionary says it's a softness of temper, mildness, and gentleness, forbearance, humility, submission to the divine will. Meekness is a it's um, strength under power. It's not weakness, because weakness doesn't have a choice in the matter. A weak person can't do anything. A weak person can't fight back. A weak person um, couldn't stand up for themselves even if they wanted to. They, they have no power to do anything. So a person that's weak can't say anything. They can't go back. They can't fight back. They, they don't have any power. Well, meekness is somebody that's got some power but is able to, to keep it under control. So that is exemplified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. What is it? He's, he's uh, gentle and lowly in heart. He's meek. Who has the power of the Lord Jesus? I read it this morning. Jesus Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. The world will say, well, that's a weak person. Well, that's unmanly. Well, who's the truest man that's ever lived? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the strongest man that's ever lived? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. To bear the temptations and the, to bear the, what he bore there um, in, in Gethsemane and then um, on into the trial and there on the crucifixion. To stand and never budge, to stand on his convictions against the whole world and never budge an inch. To look the worldly powers in the face and, and, not, and not shrink back a centimeter. But to stand firm and bold, but yet, whenever he was reviled, reviled not again. It's like, um, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones I read said it, that he thinks of meekness like uh, riding a big, um, big powerful horse. 
That horse could buck you off any moment it wanted to. That horse could knock you down and, and kick you and stomp on you. But a little, a little child can sit on that horse and with one hand control that horse and make it run and trot and stop and go left and right. Whatever she wants that, little, wants that horse to do. Now that horse outweighs her, you know, 2,000 pounds to 70. But that, that horse is under control. That horse has it's reined in its, its power. Well, that's, that's what meekness is. And, and there's a meekness to wisdom. That's why Moses was the meekest man. But you don't read Moses and think, wow, what a, what a weakling. I read Moses and say, wow, what a, what a man of strength to be able to, to lead millions of people, to be able to stand before Pharaoh and, and not budge and, and be uh, stalwart in the cause of the Lord. Well, why was he meek? Because he was patient and long-suffering with the children of Israel as he led and guided them. He, he put himself, he was patient with them as he, as he taught them. Wisdom and meekness go hand in hand. They go together. So, in the context of James, James says, well, how do we know, brothers, how do I know if, if you ought to be uh, teaching people? He said, because there's a lot, of, a lot of things that are being said that ought not to be said. He said, well, do you have knowledge? And they said, well, of course I have knowledge. How else would I teach people? He said, well, let's look and show me out of a good conversation your works with meekness and wisdom. Show me, just like he says, show me your faith by your works. Don't tell me about your faith, but show me your faith. He's saying the same thing about your wisdom and knowledge. He says, don't tell me how smart you are. Show me how wise you are. Don't tell me how much you know. Show me the, the fruit of your wisdom. And just like with faith, he's not saying that you, you work faith or, or faith comes by works or you're justified by your works. And he's not saying that you have knowledge by your works, but it's the same sort of illustration. He says, show me. If it's real, there'll be something there. And so show me your wisdom through your works. I think you all would agree that a sermon ought to have some practical applications to it. And not just knowledge. Well, our life should have some practical application to it too. If you have knowledge, there's an application to that. And that, that is wisdom. When we read or we have instructions for the church looking for elders, what is it that they're supposed to look for? Now, if a church is saying, well, we need somebody, we need a preacher, well, who should we get? 1 Timothy 3 tells you. What should we be looking for? Well, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, no greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well. And in verse 6, not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must have a good report of them which were without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, what is that, about, I think, 15 different things there? And two of them have to do with knowledge and teaching. 
not a novice. That's just maturity and you know, how much knowledge that you have or maturity in the faith. Not really knowledge, it's maturity. And then, but then being apt to teach. Having the ability to teach people. Having that, that skill, that gift to do that. But the rest of them is all character-based. Just look at his life, in other words. Look at the man's life. Now, knowing the scriptures is vitally important. I mean, that's, that should be the, the first question, I would think. Well, do you know the Bible, right? We say, well, we take that for granted. Let's say the man knows the Bible. Well, what else does he do? You don't say, well, okay, what school did you go to? Or how many books do you read? Or how many books have you written? No, you say, how does he treat his family? How patient is he? Does he get into fights? Is he a brawler? Why, do, why is that important? Well, one, he's a, a shepherd. You know, you don't want somebody that's, you don't want a brawler or a drunkard being your shepherd, but you also don't, you want to look and say, well, this person's not wise. He doesn't live in wisdom. Well, how do you know? Because James tells us how we know, because you look at how he lives. It's one thing to have something in your brain. It's another thing to have it in your heart, and it works out. Another reason why is because if you want somebody that knows the truth, you want somebody to be able to teach that truth. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. He must not be a fighter. And, and that's not defending the truth, but just a, a fighting spirit of a person. But, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give repentance to the acknowledging the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive out of his will. Now somebody might have knowledge, and they might have good theology, but without wisdom, you know what that's going to cause them? It's going to cause them to fight. It's going to cause them to, to um, just battle people and be in fight mode all the time. Someone that has a handle on the facts of the truth but doesn't have wisdom, they'll not be gentle with people who disagree with them. They may have a good handle on the doctrine, but without meekness, they won't care to teach anyone about it. It's my way or the highway, and you can get on board, and if you disagree, well, the door swings open both ways. And without patience, you can't teach anybody else, can you? How can you teach somebody that doesn't know something if you don't have any patience? Have you ever, does someone without any patience ever try to teach you something? Um, I tried to, I worked at a place one time, and the guy was showing me how to, to work on something, and... Um, we was about five minutes into it, and he said, you go step one, you go step two, and I went and I dropped the wrench whenever I was going through it, and he got aggravated at me. He said, here, get out of the way, and he grabbed it, and that was the end of that. Uh, uh, it was five minutes, and he lost patience with me. Well, he wasn't a very good teacher, was he? Um, no, because he didn't have any patience. He didn't care if, you know, what happened or anything such as that. He just, he had zero patience. Well, you can't teach anybody if you don't have any patience, if you don't have any meekness. Without wisdom, all you'll be able to do is just, you know, toss out the red meat to people who already agree with you. Wisdom and meekness, 
seeks the betterment of others, trying to recover them out of the devil's trap. Think about this. Maybe think about like if a dog is tied up to a tree and that dog goes around and around and, and it ties itself up and its head's right up against the tree and every time it moves, it's choking itself. And it's trapped. And you see that dog and you feel sorry for the dog and you go to it and it's yelping and barking and you reach down towards the, the collar and you're going to try to set it free and it snaps at you. And every time you go that dog, it starts, it starts trying to bite you. Well, you feel sorry for that dog and you're going to try to get it free. Well, what would happen if you start screaming at it and, and smacking at it and, and such? Well, it's likely that that dog might, if it does, you know, depending on what kind of personality that dog has, it's going to get mad at you and start biting all the more. But what if you go and you speak calmly to it and, and you put your hand on its back and, and just ease down and say, oh, that's, calm down, calm down. Lots of times that dog may calm down with you. You're the one that's in control. You don't lose your temper and start throwing things and cussing and screaming. You're the one that's got the knowledge, right? The dog doesn't. The dog ran around the tree and tied itself up. It doesn't have any knowledge. It doesn't even know what's the problem. What the problem is. You're the one that knows what the problem is. You're the one that knows how to fix it. You have the knowledge. You also need to be the one that's in control. Well, that's sort of how Paul describes this. There's someone in the snap of the, de- the the snare of the devil. They're in the devil's trap, and they don't even know it. And they want to fight, and they want to argue about the things of the Bible. But if you know the truth, you know they're trapped. And so in meekness, you instruct those who are opposing themselves that you can get them out of that trap. So name-calling and being angry and showing your frustration won't win anybody to your side. In fact, all it'll do is it'll prejudice them to where they won't even listen to you anymore. When someone is overtaken in a fall, so let's say I'm in some kind of sin, and I'm overtaken in a fault. Well, ye which are spiritual, Galatians 6.1 says, Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So what if you come talk to me and you say, you, say, you big dummy, what are you doing? And you start calling me names and accusing me of things I didn't do and making fun of me. Do you think I'm going to say, you know what, you got a good point there. No, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to come right back at you and say, oh yeah, well you think, you're, you think I'm bad, well, let's talk about you for a minute and there we'll go. But if we come in the spirit of meekness, trying to recover them that are overtaken, helping those, then uh, considering our own weakness, then we might be able to help them. Peter says when defending the faith in 1 Peter 3.15 that we should do it in the spirit of meekness. So when we're talking to lost people in the spirit of, of meekness, not just to, to own the liberals, right? But we want, to, we want them to come to saving faith. If they're not saved, we want them to come and, and to know the truth. So we do so in the spirit. of We want them to, to believe like we believe. We have the spirit of meekness in the fight of faith. And we'll look at um, two more scriptures real quick. One is in 1 Timothy 6. And then the last one being Colossians 3. You and I ought to be able to talk to people that we disagree with 
without name calling and and, and uh, getting mad at one another. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Meekness and fight. Those words are right next to each other, aren't they? Follow after meekness and fight the good fight of faith. That's how you and I ought to, to act. It's, it's sometimes bad. You get online and, and see pastors talking past one another or about one another, accusing one another of, of certain things. Always looking at the worst possible light and applying the worst possible motives to what someone says or, or might believe. We don't ignore truth. We fight the good fight of faith. But we do it in faith and love and patience and meekness. Because that's what our God has called us to do. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And lastly, in Colossians 3, this is the way that we ought to walk. You and I, ever growing in knowledge, ever growing in wisdom, should ever be growing in meekness. Colossians 3, verse 12, Put on therefore as elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And so what do we do? We go in the spirit of the gospel. You say, well, Brother Doug, I haven't been meek and... and I'm not. Well, what's Paul say? Well, put on Christ. Christ forgives you. I said it the other day that Jesus forgives the sins of Christians too. He died for Christian sins, not just lost people's sins, but he died for my sins and your sins. And as Christ forgives us and as Christ is forbearing, and I said that about myself, that the Lord was long-suffering with me. He was patient. He still is patient with me. I'm glad he's patient with me as I learn and as I, I grow and I mess up and, and, and do dumb things and say dumb things and the Lord is patient with me because he loves me and he's forbearing and he guides me and he teaches me and I say, well, I'm sorry I did that again, Lord. Please forgive me. And now I, I, I grow in grace and he helps me and he sanctifies me. And well, all this, all this text is saying is for us to act like Jesus. For us to treat one another like Jesus treated us and how he treats us. And if we treat others the way Christ treats us, then we'll walk in the spirit of, of meekness.